Hello and welcome to the very 71st ever Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. My name's Matt and I'm joined by the inimitable Paul Dean. Thank you very much. I've never been called inimitable before. That is very exciting, Matthew Lees. People have tried to imitate you on multiple occasions and it's never been terribly convincing. Only for identity fraud. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, honestly. Hilarious. Quinns isn't here this week. He's in India enjoying an extended January break. A much-deserved one as well. He was yes. particularly, particularly busy last year. Um, so we thought we'd uh, fire up the pod engine and jump in for the, for the first New Year podcast. So you've been playing some really interesting stuff over the, over the Christmas period. You've played one thing in particular, which I'm just going to be very mean. I'm going to oh. push you straight into this uh, really? bus lane of Oh, fun. thank you so much. Uh, yeah, uh, I have. I, I mean, I'm, I, I will quickly reel off. Uh, I, oh, I think I know what you're going to do. I've been playing a bunch of a game called Legacy of Dragonhole. I've been playing This Is Dreadful, a game that I can't remember the name of, but I will have fun describing, and someone more intelligent than me <laughs> will, I'm sure, in the comments remind me what it is. Um, someone will know. And I played Celestia for the first time just the, just the other day, which was really good fun. Is that the game that you immediately want to shoot down? No, no, oh. no, no, no. I, I not shoot down. I want to, uh, I want to, I want to hear about them. I really, really, um, I'm really excited to hear about Legacy of Dragonhold, as I'm sure lots of listeners are. So I'm going to do this as much as I can in a kind of a non-spoilery way. But uh, sure. Legacy of Dragonhold turned up last year in, in a big box and it talked about role-playing but it came in sort of a board game type box. It was an awful lot of different books. And I looked at this and I was like, okay, this is clearly like a, maybe a slightly lighter kind of role-playing game, but you sit down, you play with a couple of friends, you don't have a GM um, Mm -hmm. and you go on adventures. And I was like, that's fine. I am ready to do this. And I'm not disappointed, but it is absolutely not at all what I expected it to be. It is like a massive choose your own adventure. Wow. Right. So with, for, for multiple people. No. So here's the other thing. Here, here's, right. here's what I'm going to immediately say about this as a kind of a caveat is you don't need other people to play this with. And maybe uh, you shouldn't, even though it says you could have like half a dozen people creating characters, playing your way through this adventure. I would actually suggest you don't do that. Uh, Legacy huh. of Dragonhold begins with this uh, initially this introduction adventure which gives you an idea of sort of how characters work and gives you a sample combat. Um, and basically you, you get this quite large form, like a four size ish book with hundreds and hundreds of paragraphs. And you go to a paragraph, you make a choice, it takes you to another paragraph and asks you things like, do you have this skill? If you have this skill, this thing happens. If you don't, this other thing happens. It's fair enough. Go through this introductory adventure, get to a town and the town itself is a huge book in the game full of loads of paragraphs that correspond to like all the different shops you can go to and the people you can talk right. to who might give I you got a- really, I got really thrown there. I went literal and I was like, the town is well, a big book. And, and the people live inside a gigantic <laughs> book, Paul. This sounds like madness. I was well, like, this is like a, a really far-fetched Morrowind expansion. You know, you know what though? It kind of is in a way. You get these other books that then the other adventures that have their own paragraph numbers um, you get this huge map of the town and then it has also like different numbers on the map as well. So if you go to a certain location on the map, then you read a paragraph in, in one of the books there. You've got this rather clever tracker system where you have a character sheet, uh, or a sort of a lot character log thing where if you, if certain events happen, you just tick off a box and you don't necessarily know what that box means, but you go somewhere and it's like ticks 
tick box N1 or something. And it might be that way down the line, you bump into somebody and because you did a certain thing and you ticked that box, it will say, did you tick this box? And then that triggers another event, which is all quite clever. And it is, it is basically an elaborate choose your own adventure campaign across a bunch of books with quite high production quality, looking really rather nice. Um, and I had, I'm, I'm like very that's. well, so I'm quite early into this, but I've enjoyed it and I found it interesting. And mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the fact that it's different that I can take like this box, uh, like on a train or on a plane with me and read a bunch of it. And it's like doing, um, a very elaborate choose your own adventure thing. It, you know, you can sink a lot of time into it. It, I, I haven't actually been challenged by it yet. I haven't actually felt any sense of danger in any of the stuff that happens in it. So I don't feel it's very hard. Okay. Um, it feels very introductory as well. It's almost like playing your first, playing your first choose and own adventure, playing your first RPG because everything is quite friendly and light and fluffy a lot of the time. So you have a nice time being a nice adventurer, but you don't really feel sort of in danger. Um, and I don't, it's the real crux of the thing or the thing that really confused me is I thought I would sit down with friends and we'd make characters together and we would make different choices. But you basically, the same way that when you play Sherlock Holmes, like one person will read a paragraph when you go to a location, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that. And you don't actually need other people to contribute to anything that happens. And I feel like the more people you have around the table trying to get in on your choices about where you go and what you do, the, the less it actually matters. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously in, in Sherlock Holmes, it's pretty, I mean, you can play Sherlock Holmes on your own, but I thought it was at the very least, maybe not essential, but really interesting to play with multiple people because it is a game of deduction and right. often different perspectives can highlight different things. And you, you have that just wonderful play around the room, really, of people often, I find myself often being someone who is either absolutely bang on no Matt that's absolutely correct you've completely got it or Matt that's entirely insane (laughs) (laughs) like I I would I would have very elaborate theories that were either like accurate or entire you know flights of fancy and the the, the interplay of that and having people being like actually arguing for their own theories um, and the sense of time you know being like we can't we don't have time we have to make a choice correctly I think yeah I guess without those the decision of being like do we want to go here or do we want to do this um, if you aren't trying to uh, I mean, is there any sense of like the mystery solving? Is there any sense of trying to come up with a thesis about what you're doing that what? matters? Or mm, this is it. It's I, I thought you would be making decisions together about like what a you know like we've bumped into this new character. Can they be trusted? Can they not? And this sort of discussion. But you don't need that level of stuff. There isn't an amount of deductive stuff in there, or there isn't certainly what I've seen so far. And so this is you know you you don't need to bounce your brain off people, and I don't feel it is. And I mean, really, if you've played this for a couple of hours and you've not had any sense of finding a reason for the multiple people element, then it's you can't really expect people to sit through that amount of time without feeling that agency before they can, you know, yeah. get into it, even if it does exist beyond that. So Yeah, yeah, very uh, much. But as a, a standalone box, as a sort of like choose your own adventure in a box, there's something about that that I like the idea of, of it being rather than just being a book, being a kind of... Uh, a legacy choose your own adventure thing a, a small you know pamphlets and books that you can unlock and things. yeah yeah that sounds quite interesting that that is the best thing about it and the way it very cleverly asks you to as i say mark boxes or just you cross things off on a track sometimes and when that track's full that's like the end of the day so um you know if you imagine you 
go around to a bunch of different locations and it occasionally says cross a thing off and it's like it's the way of measuring that an hour's gone you suddenly realize oh i can't go everywhere because i have like eight of these boxes to tick off so i can't just play the whole thing i will play a certain amount of stuff uh, and then the game will be like you've run out of time go to this paragraph and it's like what what didn't i see what did i miss it's got and they're all quite subtle mechanics but they work quite nicely and i appreciate that and i appreciate that it's doing that thing but a little differently i think i'm wondering now basically now that you've kind of framed this as being like it's kind of like a now that you frame this as being something that perhaps is best enjoyed alone yes i'm already starting to compare it directly to and being like all right well if we were going to recommend that to somebody though would we recommend them instead maybe the sorcery series on the ipad or steam which you know is fantastic on the ipad or a phone and and is effectively a elaborate choose your own adventure with some of the same systems but automated and beautiful and wonderful i mean that's a huge favorite of mine i, I finished that series um last year and it really really connected with me in, in a big way um I, I guess following on from that as well like um what's the tonality of the world like because again something which i found really fascinating um playing the sorcery series um especially because obviously they are adapted from actual you know choose your own adventure books yes is that vein of of fantasy kind of died you know that that um i guess back in the 60s there were there were a whole bunch of different kind of um schools of thought about about fantasy and traditional fantasy and uh really i guess due to the nature of of um capitalism mainly i guess they've been dominant ones and uh, you know like basically the tolkien Mm -hmm. um school has kind of become this traditional textbook this is what fantasy looks and smells like where it was playing um stuff like uh, the king of dragon pass another fantastic uh, ipad thing and um Sorcery kind of had this much more mystical, strange, unknowable, fearful element to it. Um, I'm interested to know, because obviously Legacy of Dragonhold is based in, uh, is it? Uh, Terranoth. 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 It's in that classic FFG world of yeah. fantasy, mo- mostly fantasy, but slightly different, like fantasy if you squint and the goblins look a bit different. Yeah. And I know that like um, a lot of fantasy flight stuff was directly inspired of course by tolkien style stuff so i was wondering you know in, in a game which is effectively a game where if you are playing it as you recommend it's something you sit and you read um is the is the writing in the world interesting enough to really kind of bring it to life but this is you've you've hit the nail on the head you've whacked the hammer and this is the the, the crux of the thing is i don't feel it quite is there's a lot mm. in it that's interesting but it didn't it wasn't compelling to me i kept turning the page sort of out of curiosity rather than out of like real excitement because i'd never felt enough danger um and i never felt quite invested enough in the plot i was always you know page turning curiously like oh i wonder what will happen next oh i wonder what is here but not not excited, which is kind of a shame because, like I say, mechanically, I like the way it does a lot of stuff. I like the fact that it's so, just so big. There is actually a lot in the box, a bunch of different adventures here. But, like, I, I will play some more of it. I don't know if I would recommend it over, like, picking a cool choose-your-own-adventure app first, though. Um, mm. I will quickly say I really appreciate that it's, it's a fantasy world that has a bunch of women characters in. And I feel like it's been deliberately written to give you lots of interesting women characters who do cool stuff to interact with. There's been 
I don't know if you will have seen this. There has been a pushback going around online to this where a few people have complained that the game has got too many women in. Um, and wow. th- this is, this is awful and it's the end of everything. And, you know, the, the games are now ruined because this game has lots of women in. Um, it's, 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 it's nothing is ruined. It's fine. It just happens. Further, em- <laughs> further evidence that you should not go on the internet whenever possible. No, if you're um, on the internet yeah. right now, please leave. Just- well, no, that's good. That's great. And, um, yeah, it's funny. Like I, uh, yeah, as I said last time, I, I think when I was doing the Gloomhaven review, I was, I was impressed with, I was kind of actually, it proved my point. I don't know if I pointed this out, the fact that I got the, uh, I, I was misgendering my own rat character because I was so excited to be a small rat, uh, mind thief. That I didn't really read the card properly. And it meant that like, I was saying, ah, you know, it's quite good. There's lots of good female characters in this game when I was in the podcast and then in the review it's like oh yeah I'm talking about my rat man it's a rat lady <laughs> which is cool because it means me and my friend uh, Laurie who played a bunch of the campaign together mostly together were both playing female characters and uh, I didn't even know but it doesn't really matter because I'm still a rat anyway yeah pushback on that stuff is always inevitable um, but history will only remember the truth Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I want to ask you. You've been asking me about fantasy. I want to ask you about space opera. Space opera, because oh. you you did the, this tremendous Gloomhaven review. It's wonderful. Big end of year close for us. But you mentioned in that review Imperial Assault, which is a classic. I did. Miniatures, random board shoot things, and you've been doing that again, haven't you? I did, and I have. Well, basically, um, it was just at the point where the review was coming out, we realized that Imperial Assault had put out this app, which is available on Steam or available on iPads, and it basically is something which allows you... It's something similar to the um, Descent, uh, Descent Second Edition app, which allows you to play the game in a full cooperative manner, so you don't have to play with one player being the baddies, the, the bad Star Wars men, um, which is very attractive to a lot of people, because... Um, I love Imperial Assault, but the process of being the bad guy, especially when you've got a room with three or four um, goodies uh, trying to beat you, there is an element, as we discussed in the review and outside of it, of being having to be a, a, a dungeon master or a game master, of having to fudge the game slightly every now and then and give them more XP or give yourself less XP and or just go easy on them every now and then. And I think um, I think Quinn's talked about, he may have got it from someone else, but talked about role-playing as if you are stormtroopers. So don't play it in a tactical mastermind way. Just have the stormtroopers just run into the room and go, get them, and then get shot, you know, <laughs> um, which I did do. But, that, that, you know, that's tricky. But obviously with this, it means it's fully co-op. You're just playing against an AI. Um, and yeah, you are and you aren't, is, is the long of this. Um, I, I was... Mm, I don't really know how I feel about this app, to be honest. It's a, it's quite a swish uh, bit of production. It's a nicely produced thing. Um, it has a mini campaign, which is five missions, I think. And uh, I think the idea is they're going to have more campaigns that you can maybe buy to play with people. Oh, really? And if you really, you know, yeah, I, th- I think that's what they did with the, the sen- second edition app. Um, but to begin with, you know, it's a, it's a completely free five mission thing, which, you know, talking about a good weekend of play here. And uh, for an additional thing to a game you've already got that's free, pretty cool. However, just the nature of it, I found slightly didn't quite gel with the um, design of the game. Basically, the way it works is you have a mission, it will show you on the screen, the mission needs set up and you get all the bits out and you 
build the map. And there's some very cool elements in this. I really like the fact that the map is not complete when you start the mission. You just get out a couple of bits, or you know, three or four or five. And then as you open up new doors or unlock new things, it will actually unlock new parts of the mission. Oh, I like does, this. Yeah, right? Which means A, setup doesn't take as long, and B, it means you don't have that weird, awkward thing of well, I don't really need want the players to look at this map, so I have to set up the map on my own as the Imperial player. It means you can all work together to set up the game. Then it has some interesting elements, the fact that like when it's bringing in new reinforcements, it will be kind of randomized. So it'll be like, what's it going to bring in? And it will literally like, it will literally cycle between the different faces of the potential things like rolling a, um, like spinning a wheel almost of being like, what's it going to be? It's a stormtrooper. Woo! Um, but it isn't actually kind of clever AI. Um, the way it, it doesn't actually track where the players are and it doesn't specifically tell you what the, um, what the enemy pieces do. Um, instead, what you have is you have a different system to the one that's on the cards normally of telling you what these characters will try to do in order. And there's kind of a simple rule set of being like, look, if they can't do this, then they'll just do the next thing down. And then the idea is it's like, it's kind of set up in a way that means like, hey, the stormtrooper is close enough to shoot you, then they will. Are they not? then they'll run up and try and get close to you. And what makes it kind of nice and interesting is the fact that you do then have some interesting different behaviors for certain things. Like drones will try and like fly up next to loads of people. And if they're near at least one person, they'll blow themselves up. Um, however, I found some of the kind of uh, things in terms of the list of what they'll do. I was like, well, this doesn't, it made things maybe play in a way which I didn't think made that much sense. And I kind of felt sometimes I was like, well, would they do that? Because I kind of feel like it'd be better if they did this. And I found myself wondering if if really, and actually occasionally fudging it, being like, no, I don't, they're not going to do that. They're going to run over here and do this because come on, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. So it's kind of like they have got some very basic... Um, systems of AI processing set up to be like, look, it's going to try and do this or this and this, but it's never contextual. Yeah. Um, so, and I kind of felt like that was the, the magic source missing to really feel like it was adding something because otherwise it's like, well, if you both know how to play the game, then even being told what the enemies do, surely just like do the, you know, the, like the dark rule from Arkham or whatever, of just being like, hey, what's the worst thing they could do at this point? Do that. Like, Ooh, yeah. Um, of just being like, here's five things, they can do two of them. Like, what's the worst thing? Um, I don't know. So sometimes I kind of felt like it was, the game was going easy on us just because it didn't actually have sentience, uh, <laughs> which is, I know, a tough ask. However, there's some really cool stuff as well. Like, you know, it means you can have crates on the map, but when you open a crate, you press the button and it tells you what you got. And, you, you know, when, when you end the mission it keeps track of all of the players monies and it gives you options of things you can buy from the shop and it means it's all kind of logged in the game so you can just if you you know put it all back in the box you can get it out and literally have a game state of being like oh what items did i have oh, um, but then helpful. even yeah it is helpful but then even there was things like um between missions there were little bits where you can have conversations and like multiple choice conversations and bits to read out and there's a strange middle zone right with the with the ipad of, or, or you know or a computer screen where if you draw a card and it's got some text on it, you just, I guess one of you reads it, right? Because you don't all just like crowd around and all read a card at the same time because it's a small thing and that's kind of mad. But with an iPad... <laughs> you could. I mean, I, I you, have done that. <laughs> yeah, I have as well. When you don't really don't get something, like, what does this mean? What's, 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 is that a typo? But generally speaking, like when you've got this screen at the side of the you know table that you can all see at all times, 
it tends to mean that when there is text, everyone just sort of quietly reads it to themselves, um, which is fine, but weirdly... Hmm. I mean, obviously this is kind of dumb, right? Because you can just be like, of course, just house rules it. One player is going to pick up the iPad and read it out to the other players, but you kind of don't. So... Yeah, there was some interesting stuff. And also, to be honest, the the main thing, and um, I, I, I really need to point out as well, actually, I think I'm an outlier with this. Uh, reading online, lots of people just think this app is great. And lots of people think it's, uh, especially people who bought the game, never found the ability to, to play it in the intended way. And uh, are really looking for a way to just sit and play it as a, a fun, light, cooperative thing. Brilliant. Um, but I found that Effectively, when you took out that um, kind of intensity of that jewel of wits of of trying to outsmart yeah. another actual human, I found that the game itself just wasn't actually that um, interesting, if I'm honest. Right. My friend I played it with really enjoyed it, but he's a big Star Wars fan. And I think just, just going around and killing stormtroopers as a Wookiee is like his idea of a great day in. I could it, probably just dress up as a stormtrooper and let him hit you me. say and that, be, you know. I mean, that that is most people's idea of a good day in. And even yeah. even as I, you know, race through my 30s as an adult with uh, things like a student loan still to pay off and uh, a savings account, I also occasionally still want to be a Wookiee and shoot stormtroopers. I, Absolutely. I, it's ingrained in me because of all this uh, Lucas imprinting when I was a tiny child. Um well, okay, let me throw you a couple of questions about this. I'm really, I'm kind of curious and surprised. So you can't just play the stuff that's already in Imperial Assault using the app. It's all no. different. Right. Uh, mm. It's all new, but it's interesting because there's elements of that that are interesting. It does it does new things. And there are some slightly mild, puzzly bits. And yeah, it's um, it's... It's interesting. It's it, definitely it, it definitely not bad. doesn't replace the the GM character for the campaign that's already there, though. No, no, it doesn't. I, oh, I was assuming I didn't that as well. This. No, it's a, it's an entirely different standalone thing, and it has. I've got to say, it has it has an element to it which I thought was like wonderfully cynical. And but you know, I had to like applaud it. It's fantastic. Uh, basically, when you log into the app, you can then tell the app exactly what expansions you've got and what extra characters and all the things. And every time you click one, it makes a nice sound and it it actually has a percentage to show you what percentage of the entire collection of Imperial Assault extras you own. Um, and the idea of telling it what you've got is that it can then introduce those elements into the game. It can be like, all right, well, you know, that, that enemy can appear in this mission. I get the impression from what I've seen and what I've heard that they haven't really... The app needs a little more work on that front. It doesn't actually integrate um that a huge number of the potential pieces and um and you know ideas and you know base tiles and stuff from the expansions um so there's work to be done there but yeah just the fact that it's like has it basically manages to have that video game completion style 100 percent completion but actually about a physical thing i was like oh man but it's it's so enticing it's like you know i had to, i had to applaud it it's like this is a a beautiful piece of uh, <laughs> of digital engineering, mind engineering. It, cl- it clearly works for a lot of people, given the enthusiasm online. But I can't help but feel like if there were if there were five of you and one of you has been the the imperial GM, and then you get the app, one of you's got to go away because well, it, yeah, obviously. But then at the same time, it's, them. yeah, I mean, you you 
Yeah, but I think it just serves a different purpose. And that's, I do like it because I think it's, it basically, it's already a very generous box, right? I think that the, the base box of what you get in terms of how long the campaign lasts and also then having the head-to-head mode, which is very good, uh, a lot of fun. Um, you know, adding this as well as being like, oh, hey, maybe you've just got two people and you just want to play a little co-op romp. It seems like the sort of thing, to be honest, like when I was saying earlier about how it's like, yeah, you know, it's if you like Star Wars, da, da, da. I'm not saying that in a cynical way. Like I'm, I'm actually like kind of mildly, constantly jealous of people who can just get kind of enjoyment out of things like that. For whatever reason, I can't um, about anything, which is kind of sad, but kind of useful for being a critic. I guess it's a, <laughs> a flaw oh with a quirk. So I don't, I never really get that about anything. I'm not really a fan of anything in that way. Um, but it's fine. Like you put on some, you know, Star Wars music, you play this, it's pretty decent. I just felt like, especially actually, you know, especially while thinking about why I was looking at it as being like, does this basically make it something that could fill the gap of Gloomhaven in my mind? Uh, my answer for that was resolutely just no, no. I, I uh, knew it. I knew you were going to say that. Well, because I just think that like the the system of, of play in Gloomhaven is, uh, is so, there's so much to it. Um, there's so much to get your teeth into in terms of having fun with the systems of the combat um, that it's just inherently a lot of fun. Whereas actually, weirdly, um, yeah, when you're just playing and just literally putting pieces on and moving around and rolling dice, it kind of makes you realize that without that very specific kind of head-to-head, you know, tactical nature, um, it's not a very complicated game. Um, And that's fine. And actually, you know what? Like, if you like Star Wars and you're looking for a kind of like slightly more complex roll dice, eat pretzels, drink beer, have a laugh, it's probably great. Um, but it's not the full campaign um, and it's it's not spectacular, but it might be. I mean, there's a nice thing about this is, you know, it may get updates in the future that make it substantially better. Um, I think it's a, it's a pretty strong start to an interesting thing. And I suppose but it does, if it's yeah. free, also it's free. Yeah, it's free. So there's nothing to lose. But, you know, I think we found ourselves being like, oh, hey, maybe this is going to be an equally really good fully co-op thing. And I, I just don't, I just don't think it is. I think it's fine. But um, yeah, you kind of realize that without that kind of like very careful element of positioning and using abilities at exactly the right time, it is just kind of rolling dice at each other, um, which is fine, but not incredibly exciting you know it's Um, funny you say that because that leads me onto some of the stuff that i want to say about celestia ah so here's a thing we reviewed that we reviewed that last year right you you uh, was it too oh my it's 2018 how did it get this far this is ridiculous somebody should stop Uh, this you did a um i believe it was celestia and frittata video is that right (laughs) yeah i did i was just (laughs) thinking that i was just thinking is it sad i remember what i cooked no, I think that it's wonderful. Um, and it's, it, it is this, um, fantasy, fantasy ship flying, push your luck, basically card and dice game, uh, that I tried the other night for the first time because I really like anything that is sort of about pushing your luck and trying to outwit and be a little bit cheeky to the other players around the table. Uh, you all climb into this lovely wooden ship that you actually have a little cardboard model of and, move it along, how best to describe it, sort of a series of tiles, and each tile has uh, higher scoring prizes under it if you choose to jump out of that tile at that point. But each tile also presents greater dangers, greater possibility of something going wrong to the ship, and everybody who is still left on the ship crashing and ending up with uh, 
you know, no rewards whatsoever. So it's basically a game of when, when do you parachute out of the ship to see what you get? Is that a fair description? I think so, yeah. I think thematically wasn't the idea. It's like, oh, I like it here. I'm just going to stay here. And it, like, the places get increasingly fabulous as you go. I, I really like that uh, this, this is a game that passes around the table as well. So uh, for each move that you make with this thing, a different player has a hand of cards. They roll dice. They face a certain danger. And then they, without saying anything, everybody thinks about, you know, am I going to stay in the ship for another turn? Do I think that this player has the cards to defeat the danger that, that we're facing? Um, or, you know, do I, I cut my losses now? And it, initially, I absolutely adored this, and I thought it was the best thing ever. Mm. And playing it with, what, about six people, by the end wow. of the game, I'd had... How many of you played it with, first of all? Oh, I think we played it with two, three, and four. Oh, wow. That might have been a very different dynamic. Yeah, I think it must might have been, yeah, because I guess you haven't got to wait as long for it to come back to you. Right, so here's the thing. Uh, like I say, I really like push your luck stuff and I really like bluffing and lying to people and I thought there'd be maybe a bit more of this in this game and I would be, uh, you know, being witty about whether I could or couldn't face a danger and everybody would jump out and I'd be like, actually, yeah, these clouds are no problem. We're going to go to the next space and I'm going to score more points and no one else will because they all ejected too soon or something like this. Uh, every time you play a round of play, everybody gets another card. So you, even though you spend cards to defeat dangers, you also get them. And occasionally you have these rounds of play where the very first or second turn, something goes horribly wrong. Whoever's the captain at the time can't deal with it. So it, it, nobody really wins or loses anything. Play goes around time. Everybody gets another card. By the end of this game, I had a handful of cards that would have defeated lots of dangers and also would have given me dice rerolls uh, and a bunch of wild cards that you would play for everything. You know, I had like eight or ten cards in my hand. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was about ready to deal with anything. And I feel that was partly a symptom of the fact we had so many players around the table that we were triggering that that draw a new card thing so often that we, we just all became really good at flying a, a ship through the clouds. And then suddenly there was not nearly so much danger. And we all we all ended the game with more than the number of points that you have to trigger the end game. So it wasn't that that somebody won so much as we all won, but just somebody won a little bit more. Wow. That's, yeah. Uh, that's strange. I mean, it's it, been was... such a long time since I've played it, so I can't really remember. I can't even be like, mm, maybe this happened or whatever, but I... Bizarre. But you, uh, if I remember rightly, you have some fairly good feelings about this. Uh, to be honest, like, I remember it like, oh man. Because I know you this like to be a cheeky ones, boy. A cheeky boy. Um, we are the cheeky boys. This is very true. Celestia, I'm just going to look at where this, when we actually reviewed this. I remember enjoying it. Uh, I remember it being a light, fun bit of a uh, family nonsense. Um, this was reviewed in April 29th, 2016. So this is something I reviewed almost, well, was it, was it just me? Was it me and... Quins? And it was just you and some frittata. Oh, my word. Okay, so I think the thing about this one is this, I believe... No, it was me and Quins. It oh. was me and Quins, and Quins was putting his fingers in his mouth, and we were doing a thing. Yeah, okay. You know, i got to be honest, I don't 100% remember. <laughs> oh, my God. You. This comes... No, I've got a reason, right? And this is why I looked at the date. I've got a reason. It's because this comes from the weird zone 
where there basically there was a period um, f- between basically um, at the 2016 and up to the end, it's kind of end of 2000, uh, beginning of 2017, where my kind of head wasn't really working because my thyroid had broken and I lost a lot of my memory from that window, Your Honor. So uh, this, <laughs> that is, seems this a bit... is a true. No, this is a true thing that happened. This is isn't true, it? right? To be um, serious for a moment. Yeah, and it is kind of funny because I I'm sure I could watch it back and listen to what I said, and I'd be like, oh yeah, I agree with these points. Um, but it it, it didn't affect my ability to like know whether or not things were good. Um, but it did affect my memory. My short term memory was constantly a bit fried. Um, and it meant that frequently in reviews uh, from that year, if you look carefully, you'll realise I I rarely speak on camera for longer than a few seconds before it cuts to B roll because I couldn't remember lines. Uh, and then I, in the end, discovered I had a thyroid problem and now I'm on medication for it and it's absolutely fine. But uh, yeah, it was, um, it's a weird thing. And it kind of sounds like an excuse when people ask me about stuff and I have to be like, when did that happen? And because there is kind of a year of my life that I don't, I don't really remember. Um, so there's a fun anecdote. That's my way to get out of, uh, of, of remembering what I think about anything. And now I just feel really bad for putting you on the spot and saying, what was your experience versus my declining level of reward as I played this and you've honestly you've, you've trumped it's me. it's actually fine like it's more relief for me because whenever this happens I have to be like what, what, what? I don't remember and I'm I'm always relieved when I look up stuff and go oh it's fine it was in that window of time okay that's fine it's not me losing my marbles it's just uh I just lost like a, a small bag of marbles and I <laughs> But it's great because I recorded videos. I could just watch all of my old videos and get back this information. (laughs) Soak it all back in. Well, then to to briefly touch on that as well, I just watch videos that I've done and I don't remember any of it. It's like, oh yeah, we reviewed this game four years ago, but also we were doing a video every other week. And, you know, once that was done, I just did the next one. So, you know, there are games where it's like, oh yeah, we reviewed that. Oh, we did that skit. Oh, I forgot that we did that skit. That's quite funny. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I const- especially with jokes, I do not remember at all. People often quote stuff at me and I've just got no idea. I think they sound like this talking nonsense until I realise it's it's clearly something I've said in the past, but I don't know what I'm saying half the time, to be honest. So, I mean, trying to remember any of that is, is often very, very difficult, even at the best of times. Anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> talking- in conclusion then, I, for that segue, first of all, we're getting old. Second, yes. um, play Diamant or Ink and Gold instead. Even though I enjoyed uh, the push-your-luck mechanism of Celestia, uh, and I thought it was interesting, I would rather lie to people in a gold mine and split treasure. Because Celestia, it it had this thing where you get a bunch of extra special cards and they trigger special powers that you can eject from the ship when it's going down, or you can actually make make someone else who is the captain re-roll the dice to face a different danger. So it might be that you're all about to crash. And you actually go, no, I want us to play for one more round. And I really enjoyed these and they didn't happen very often. And I want more yeah. of that. If you're going to put that in the game, I want more. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's reasonable. I wonder what Crenzo thinks about that game. I wonder if he remembers it. What if he's blanked out the entire 2016 as well? Hopefully not. Otherwise, when the law cases begin, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Jeez. Anyway, let's have a quick chat, I think. Let's have a bit of a chat about a fabulous uh, fabulously interesting article which we read um just the other day which has been all over the internet a bit so you may have heard of this or not but we kind of felt it was interesting enough that we wanted to 
basically rehash and recycle a lot of this information in a podcast tube form for you to listen to, just so it seems like something that's, that's worthwhile just to put out there, even if it is just repeating things that people may already know. I can't, I can't get my head around this, and I can't believe that this is real, first of all. This yeah. is counterfeit board games exist. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised that counterfeit board games exist, right? That's counterfeit everything exists. But what surprises me is that, um, according to uh, Christian Peterson of uh, Asmodee, North America, it's a huge problem. And it's something that popped up on their radar last year and they thought this is going to be a problem. And now they're just starting to realize it's a huge problem. Uh, And they're talking about how they're seeing games whereby games that have had quite consistent sale values year on year and have, you know, always done quite well, you know, just with this amount of advertising and this amount of this, they'll do quite well. Suddenly seeing this huge drop in sales on things that just, you know, just in terms of how marketing works, in terms of how projections work, like they're usually pretty accurate. And when things just suddenly dive, something strange has happened. Um, And yeah, and I think one of the numbers that really threw me was they said that in some... In the cases of some games, they think that 70% of the sales of that those games, they didn't name them, but said 70% are counterfeit, yeah, which is right, crazy. Which is insane to me. So there are people out there, and I mean, I'm, if I'm correct, they're mostly mentioning somewhere in China or Asia where people are making a version of a game where they, they scan uh, things like many of the cards. They might not have the original art and image files, but they do really high-res scans of things and they scan the box yeah. and reproduce the manual and then just sell it for about two thirds or half of the value. So to yep. the person buying it, you might not be able to tell the difference because the the manufacturing quality of it might be almost as good. And maybe if you don't play loads of board games, but you play quite a few, you this might be what you expect a board game to look and feel. And, you know, the punch board might be similar. The cards are close enough that you, you as a customer are just buying what you think is a good card game. And, it's just the level of investment that somebody would have to do to reproduce all of these components. And often we're also talking about figures here as well. Yeah. I, I, I still can't believe this. I actually, because, because you'd need right this whole infrastructure behind it. You would need the factories and then you would need the distribution. And yet, well, this, this stuff isn't is too, happening. This stuff isn't too tricky. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of in a way, uh, a side effect of, of having, you know, had the West, for so many years just leaning on China for for production like this. Um, And now we have this situation whereby, you know, uh, China's economy and sort of gearing up a bit and there are more entrepreneurs on that end who are doing things and also the fact that you, ha- you have no copyright laws in china it's it's that's something that to, to the west is just insane i think and it's so hard to get your head around that the idea of it's like it just the idea of copyright is so it's such a part of our culture it's not just a legal thing it's people everyone knows that generally speaking you know you can't steal other people's stuff and i say that on the internet people are really struggle with this idea a lot but but to a degree, like, you know, people understand you can't just like, if you said, oh, you know, that's a really good, the new Star Wars film. Yeah, I've recorded it in the cinema with my camera and now I'm going to sell it on DVDs. People would inherently know. It's like, I don't think you're, that seems wrong. You're not allowed to do that. Like, you know, whereas in China, it just doesn't have, it just doesn't exist. You can do what you like. Like, <laughs> just, if you want to copy something, you want to steal something, make it yours. And it results in these bizarre arms races for production that lead to things like this. 
you know, a hundred different brands of hoverboard wheelie things that some of which set on fire last year. And <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry, but no, any, I mean, anything, it is anything Segway-ish or hoverboard-ish is it's like just a bit too funny to me. I'm so sorry. It is funny. No, it's fine. It is funny because it, it literally that came about just because there was one of them in, you know, a trade show for a tech thing and somebody clearly got a good look at it. And then based on that, like somebody then managed to work out what the blueprints for that would be. And then they disseminated it very quickly. And then before you knew it, you had, you know, 10, 20 different factories all producing them at roughly the same time. And so that was like a weird one because it wasn't even a fake of anything. It was, they were all fakes. Like none of it was real, um, which is insane. But with this, it's, it's odd because it, and it's a problem um, because of the fact that they're basically pointing out that, um, these things are often available for like half the price yeah. or less. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I could see some people might go, well, what's the problem with this? You know, you get, you're not getting a copy of a version. It looks just as good pretty much. Like, you know, you can't really tell the difference unless you've got an eye for it. And it's cheaper. What's the problem? And you go, well, there's actually like quite a lot of problems. And like yes. one of the main thing is an obvious thing is that one of the things that Asmodee put a lot of time and effort into is making sure that the components are like approved as being safe. Um, you know, to Western standards. And if you get a counterfeit version, you know, it might not be. You maybe put those components in your mouth. As we do, as reviewers, we do this frequently. Well, yeah, I mean, we jokes could be aside, poisoned. Uh, there was obviously a, kids do it as well. Yeah, this is it. This is absolutely true. There was quite an elaborate discussion about this on uh, Reddit's board game subreddit, which, um, you know, m- most of this stuff, if it is just plastic or cardboard, it's not going to be a huge issue. But a couple of people talked about uh, if you have painted miniatures and what kind of paint you use. And even then, like 99% of the time, it might be fine, but you just need one person somewhere to become ill because of something. And it could be serious and it could matter. Yeah. Oh, and this is a thing serious. that, you know, in, in Europe and the US, there would be standards for this and people would check beforehand. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we forget, but uh, we, because we are comfortable enough in our assumptions that we know we could chew on a space marine and it would be fine but something slightly different could happen and uh yeah you maybe a million to one odds but you don't want to be that person who says my child is really ill because they got their hand on something that i had no idea was actually going to be slightly poisonous and i mean the nature of counterfeiting in china is is very much just you do whatever you need to do to get something looking as real as possible and looking real is the only thing that matters and you know there've been counterfeit foods counterfeit eggs in china for a long time you're kidding I'm sure that's, yeah i'm not sure if it's such a big thing now but i remember at least a decade ago counterfeit what, eggs were how a real do you thing ca- because, what why <laughs> why yeah. how well, do you do that is, Again, um, this is insane, but they would make eggs that basically looked just like eggs, and they, when you crack them, it looks like an egg. But it's just uh, <laughs> it's just plastic polymers. It's just it's just rubber and stuff. It's it's not none of it is an egg. It just yeah, looks like why an egg. why and because it, because this was nuts. It was cheaper to make these fake eggs, these chemical eggs, than it was to make real eggs. But surely, so you make these surely, eggs, sell them. Wait, 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 wait. Surely you can't eat that. Surely the point of an no, egg is you that can't. you eat it. And this is why, but the thing is you don't, it's almost impossible to tell that it's not a real egg until you try to fry it, at which point <laughs> it smells really bad because it's plastic. But that's not stopping you like eating it. Like, So wait, 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 what's the, what's the game plan here? Is it that you sell someone half a dozen fake eggs and then you do a runner before they cook? Because you could, you wouldn't get any repeat customers. 
I mean, I think that's the thing. I think it's bigger than that. And I think it's it's not just Big like egg. selling a dozen. It's selling like, it's selling a lot to, you know, I, I don't know. But I think the, the degree is basically, you know, and with these board games as well, like the, the routes which they're getting in and out, like, you know, all it takes is for one, uh, you know, big stockist and i think you know they, they did mention they said you know we don't want to talk specifically but it seems to be online retailers particularly you know amazon and other big big dogs basically will you know buy a shipment of being like oh yeah you know we'll buy you know ten thousand copies of this board game for you know five dollars each or whatever because in the amazon world that's how they function like you just get the stock in from someone as cheap as possible and you sell it. Yeah. Well, this, um, this is the thing that struck me as, um, you know, most worrisome and unfortunately most serious is Asmodee have been trying to do a minimum pricing policy that they hope will help uh, brick and mortar stores, you know, not be horribly undercut. Um, and, we, you know, we're always fans on Shut Up and Sit Down of encouraging people to go to their game stores um, and patronize them and give them your business. And you would think like buying from a game store or buying direct from a retailer that you trust would be fine and they probably will be, but lots of more casual people are just going to go on Amazon and see the cheapest yeah. copy of something and, and have no reason not to believe even, even the purchaser themselves may have no reason to think that there is any problem there at all. And that they're just buying a legitimate board game that maybe, maybe, you know, it's half off right now because that happens yeah, sometimes. Right? Exactly. And, and the key thing is that when they look fine, but then actually like, you know, a lot of these, they've, they've basically they've realized the scale of the problem because they're just getting a huge amount of one star reviews for games, which they know are fine. And people complaining about production quality problems, which just don't exist. Like, you know, and so that's the thing is you get this game, it looks fine, perfectly good. And then you stop playing it and maybe things fall apart a bit. And especially because the nature of how fakes work in terms of it just needs to look right. It means you have, I wouldn't be surprised you have slight insane things like, oh, well, this is, we can't get this blue plastic. So we'll just use this white plastic and just spray it blue with this spray thing. And then suddenly you've got something that's potentially, potentially quite deadly. But yeah, mm. I mean, even there were some, there were two things I I thought, which are just, if you're somebody who is, you know, purely interested in buying games and making sure you're, you're buying proper games, two things to bear in mind. I thought were really interesting signifiers. And the first one was that often these models are, if you've got something with plastics in, which often it is mainly card games and small tokens and not plastics because they're harder to copy. But due to the nature of how they do it, they literally retool it, which means they will create a mold of the little plastic figurine and then use that to create a new tool to create a model. But the nature of that is, because of how it works, is it means that the version they make is about 10 to 15% smaller <laughs> so, so I, I don't know why I find that funny, but the idea that it's ever it so slightly true. miniature is a bit weird. So if you buy a game and it seems cheap, and then you realise that yeah, maybe the miniatures are like slightly smaller than they should be, and there's probably some some way you could work that out. I don't know. Maybe I mean yeah, like is this a thing now? We have to like there will be a marker on the board which will be like put your miniature on here, and if your miniature doesn't fit perfectly, then you've got you know will there be a, a counterfeit test for for board games um i mean obviously as are worried about it because they they particularly put out very high quality products yes um and that's kind of their thing and i respect that and i think it's actually a great shame when you have especially when people being like oh well yeah this game costs you know 50 dollars, but i just put for 20 but then it's like well yeah but a lot of that money goes into like you know paying artists and paying or paying all the people who spend years uh doing all the details that make these things lovely. Um, whereas obviously this just money goes straight to whoever scanned it in and uh, yeah, yeah. printed it. The so, other thing that blew my mind was was the way they talked about the fake sales that don't exist. Do you, do you remember that? No, I did I miss this? 
maybe it was a small detail, but they basically said that often what will happen is they will, let's just say that you've got a board game, let's say like, you know, Seven Wonders or whatever. They'll have a Seven Wonders and there'll be a, a seller on Amazon selling Seven Wonders for $20 or whatever, right? And everyone, and then basically people are like, oh yeah, I want I want that. I'll buy that. $20, perfect. And then that doesn't exist, right? There, there is no one selling Seven Wonders for $20. But then based on the level of interest that that gets, they will then use these fake product sales effectively to do as market research for what to copy. So next time you order something on Amazon that feels like the price is too good to be true, and then it isn't true, you might actually be not missing out on a bargain you thought you were going to get, but unwittingly taking part in market research for pirates, <laughs> which is, I, I think, really interesting. Like, it, there's nothing you could do about that, but it's, it's fascinating. It's all so odd. It, this is not like the, what I f- thought the first news story of 2018 would be. And this is not... A, I feel really naive saying this now, but of all the things that we could have talked about, the stuff we've talked about in this podcast over the years from, you know, representation to mental health to how brick and mortar survives to apps to we're just talking about people, you know, almost like photocopying games. I It's almost so trivial and weird that I just it's it's like it's almost petty, but and it's clearly not. It's clearly costing millions. The sophistication of it is incredible. Like, you know, I mean, it, it, the, the systems they have in place to do it are very impressive. But um, yeah, it's it's obviously a huge problem. And, you know, especially in this industry, you know, I've always had very mixed feelings on piracy in the past, especially with software, I have to say. Uh, whereas um, there's an element with software where if you are pirating software, um, the argument against that is always, well, that, that person has lost the sale. Right, you know, yes. that, that company has lost the sale, and I don't think that's always true by any any margin, especially with expensive software. You know, growing up, um, I I pirated um, Adobe stuff. You know, I pirated Photoshop, um, but I was a twelve year old. I was never going to buy the Photoshop suite. It costs, you know, it costs at that point maybe thousands of pounds, at least a thousand pounds. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. I was twelve, um, but I was really interested in. Um, in learning how to use video, like using you know photo software, how to manipulate images and how to how to create design things, and um, I've always felt that like actually in a way, it's maybe Adobe turned a blind eye to that because they knew people did that, and in the long run it's worked out because hey you know what I taught myself how to use all their software and now I'm a professional I use all their software and I pay for it all, and I think that cycle is fine. Um, well, there, there is an argument that uh, f- physical products have to be made and making a physical product costs, you know, each individual exactly. unit costs you a certain amount, whereas a digital product, um, you d- you, you're you not paying to physically manufacture another one and store it somewhere and ship it somewhere, whereas that's exactly what folks like Asmodee are paying for. And exactly. that's exactly what they're losing. And I have, uh, exactly. you know, although so I'm not a huge big business supporter, I, I fully have sympathy for that because that is screwing them. There's a massive difference, I think, between even with like video games, there's a massive difference between being like, you know, I don't think I'm really interested in this video game, but, I, you know, I might download a dodgy copy of it just to check it out. And, you know, I still think that I don't think that's a good thing to do by any margins. But I think there's a, a massive difference between people who just don't have any money and just want to check something out and don't have any means of checking it out without stealing it uh, versus um, literally being like, hey, I'm going to buy this cheaper version of a thing whilst you have another company where literally have warehouses full of products that they can't sell because they're being undercut by people who have literally, you know, it is, it's a really different 
ball game entirely. You know, it's I don't think it's as simple as being like you know losing consumers with with straight up digital piracy. But this is this is a different ball game entirely, especially because people don't know they're doing it. And I think that's the crucial thing. I think when people take the decision to to uh, pirate something. I think the reasons that lead to that can be really varied. And obviously there are some people who just don't want to pay for things and actually enjoy stealing and, you know, screw you. That's, that's not a good sort of way to live. But with this, people, it's worse, I think, because people think they're buying a legitimate product and just getting a good deal. And then often, again, Asmodee's main beef with it was that they then have people who might never go back to A, their products ever again, or B, the hobby, which I think is a fair worry, especially because some of the biggest things being pirated were things like Ticket to Ride. So their friends have convinced them to check it out, or maybe someone buys it for someone else as a gift and they get this thing and think, I don't know, this is kind of disappointing, a bit wonky, there's cards yeah. missing, and you know, yeah, that's kind of a thing, right? Oh my word. Well, let's, this is clearly a thing that I, I think is going to develop over the year. Should we try and Finish on something a bit more positive with a, a, a nice, friendly question at the mailbag. Oh, go on then. But for, for, I like first, I want to reach out to everyone who's listening and ask if they can name the game that I enjoyed last night so much and f- have forgotten the title of. Because <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. takes no time to describe. It's a game where um, you are trying to score. You've got it's a card game. You are either betting or not betting coins into the middle based on whether you think you can score the highest value in a round. You have an almost love letter kind of way of playing where you have a single card in your hand and then you have a deck in front of you and you can either draw a card from that deck and replace what's in your hand um, with what you've drawn or just burn that one. Or you can also, you have a, always have a Facebook, so a Facebook, you always have a face up card in the middle. Social media is so bad for me. You always have a face-up card in the middle, and you can also just burn that card and replace that with another face-up card from the deck. The idea being, at the end of the round of play, if you have the lowest card in your hand, you add it to the value of the card that's currently face-up in the middle. Um, if not, you just have whatever card is in your hand. Hopefully, you have the highest value. So this game, this game of trying to work out what cards people might have, trying to balance the value of what you have with what you're burning using in the middle... And then you can either choose to bet on a round of play, which means you're part of that round, or you can just opt out based on maybe you've got rubbish in your hand. That sounds interesting, though, because it means you can you can basically be betting that you're going to win. Because I'm assuming you can go bust, right? Like in in twenty. No, you you just want to score the highest possible value. Whoa. The cards run from one to fifteen. Um, that you wow. know, which is all that there is, one to fifteen. So you know that there is one of each card, and where if you see somebody burn a certain value, it's like okay, that card's now out of play. I know that that card is not in the game. Um, and it's just, I guess, about pushing your luck and trying to work out what the odds are. Very quick, very simple, very hard. I was bad at it because I'm often bad at games like this. And it was a small box Japanese game. It was fascinating. I cannot remember the name. If you recognize <laughs> the name of this, please let me know just so I can pick it up and bring it to parties and stuff because it was a great light kind of intro game. It's like the missing cat poster of podcast requests. Have you seen, heard of this game? My name is I, Paul. I can't remember it. I'm, I can't, Matthew, I cannot remember half the games I've reviewed. 
I don't remember half the jokes we did in the reviews. Occasionally, you know, we post up an old video and I'm like, oh yeah, we, yeah, that, oh, that's good. Uh, when, when was I ever that good at making videos? I don't I remember most old. of 2016. <laughs> it's We're weird. We're old. <laughs> we are old. Oh, we are old. It's, uh, yeah, but that's fine. We're also <laughs> not old because it's all relative. Anyway, let's end with this fun question. Do you want to, I'm going to read it out and you can answer it. Put your hand in my mailbag for me a letter. Paul Expert Dean. Dear Shut Up and Sit Down team, by which they mean Paul Expert Dean, what are some good <laughs> ideas for snacks at your gaming night? Sincerely, Nash Farmer from Dallas, Texas. I'm assuming Nash Farmer is his name and he's not somebody who farms Nashes like Kate Nash. Is yeah, Kate Nash? Go with- All right. I don't know any other. There are famous Nashes, aren't there? out there probably anyway to answer that cookies i've actually just got the answer and the answer is cookies cookies right because so okay i've talked about this a bit in the past um and queens and i actually did a hilarious hilarious a, a very silly joke skit about it and shut up and sit down years ago well it's like there are certain things that you handle and they're too greasy yeah and you don't want to have like greasy foods and then um get greasy those horrible little fingerprint stains and things on cards everybody in the uh, club get greasy no don't yeah. get greasy don't well, I mean, also maybe liquids you do, spill no, you, no why would you want to all right go on, why do you want to well, get I'm greasy i'm saying you want to get greasy i'm just saying sometimes cookies can be greasy like what kind of cookies are we talking about here oh, like, i've had some some of the most delicious cookies in the world are greasy what about when you get the the really squidgy cookies you know the ones that like it's just it's well, just okay, like all right. Dough. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing with cookies: is they have to be crumbly and crunchy. That is a good cookie. All the people who like squishy cookies are wrong. No, I, no, I'm sorry, but what about when it's like it's not really squishy, but it's like chewy? You know, it's like it's crispy at the edge, but in the middle, it's like chewy. And thick. It's uh, that's They're the best that's cookies fine. in the world. That's, you that's, never find them, right? Well, there's uh, nothing. There's nothing worse <laughs> in this world, Paul. I'm sorry to speak over you. There's nothing worse. So hang on. They're they're great, but you never find them. So what, do they not exist? They must exist. Well, people don't, like, it's more frequent than what happens. You get a cookie and you bite the edge of it and it's incredibly, like, crunchy and dry. Oh, that sounds good. And you kind of already know that by the time you get to the middle of it, the middle is going to be crunchy and dry as well. Whereas for me, the perfect cookie, you've got some, like, some crunchiness and crispiness around the edge, but in the middle, you've got a bit of a soft and, and preferably chewy treat. But um, maybe you're a, a kind of crunchy all the way through kind of guy. I am a crunchy all the way. I, I chewy. Yeah, um, I mean that could be nice. That's I mean that's fine. Like middle. most cookies I eat, I like that. So maybe I'm just the minority here. Maybe the world is is made for people like you, Paul. I I, I certainly hope so. I want my <laughs> chewies crunchy, and I want a bit of you know, and a bit of heft in there, and a bit of bite, and I want something that you know, I feel it crumble in my mouth. <laughs> As, as I assert dominance over the food and crush well, it gonna, within me. I'm going to pack some of you further here on your cookies for your gaming night here. Do you not think mm-hmm. that just snacking away on cookies at your gaming night, do you not think that's a bit too much sugar maybe? You worried about the sugar crash? I hadn't thought about that. Whoa, Paul, you got 40 minutes max on sugar. And unless you keep eating sugar constantly... Ooh, what a great idea. <laughs> when, I mean, maybe that's what you do. And don't get me wrong, like, I have had sessions where you just keep eating sugar for the whole time. You know what? 22-year-old Paul did that a lot, actually. Yep. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Um, 
But no, quite quite seriously, the idea is something sort of dry and crumbly, I think, is preferable to anything that might be greasy or, or you know, chips can do that. Crisps and um, tortilla things can have stuff that make you slightly moist. Um, yeah. Liquids get spilled. That is what happens with liquids. They naturally want to be everywhere. I do remember actually being it being quite controversial at one point where it may have been in the video review b-roll or it may have just been a photo i posted of me playing imperial assault yeah but at one point there was a bowl of soup in the middle of the table <laughs> and lots of people lost their uh lost their stuffing about that and were quite frustrated about the fact that there was inexplicably a bowl of soup right next to um the game of imperial assault they would have been more frustrated to know that at that point i desperately needed a snack for the table but didn't really have much so i, I just we had pizza with dippy soup, so it was a it was a communal bowl because I only had one bowl of soup. It was a, <laughs> a communal bowl of soup in the middle of the table for everyone to dip their crust into as like a dipping sauce. But, um, but the idea of people dipping soup around a board game, I think everyone, lots of people, feel very strongly against that. You know, all jokes and seriousness aside, I. I like to keep stuff in good condition, but I don't get really anal about things if they get a little, uh, you know, if something gets dropped on them or if they get a little moist or whatever. I but do spilling that, soup is uh, is quite a different scenario. I don't know. I, if that happened, I wouldn't be hugely mad. I do get that anxiety thing where if you have a cup at the edge of a table or like a tall yeah. glass and it's full of liquid, that for some reason makes me profoundly nervous yeah but that's just a human thing like every now and then i realize i've left a, a cup on the edge of a table and i have to just go oh no because that's a, <laughs> that's that's not a uh an irrational anxiety that's a fear of something that, that will very likely happen well, well um, fair enough let me flip it around to you do you have uh suggestions or preference you you're quite a cookie person so i bet you can yeah a cook a cooking well no fellow. you're a cookie person i'm a, I'm cookie a cooking person, person. Um, you know, I think it's, it's all about timings. I think, I think cookies are a good snack. I think actually little bags of sweet things like Maltesers, very good. Uh, wine gums, very good. But again, it's, it's when you do that. And I think that unless you've got a real constant flow of sugar for a long session, and even then, you know, gets the point where after you've eaten a bag of Maltesers, you're like, oh, I've kind of, you get that dirtiness of sugar, don't you? When you've had a lot of it, you kind of feel a bit like, oh, I don't want any more of that. Yeah, in moderation. It's always good in moderation. I think it's similar really to cracking open beers. It's, it's a really lovely thing to do when you're playing games, especially if you're having a gaming night here. But you have to choose the timing right. You know, if you, if you crash too early, then especially if you're playing a big Euro and you're having to you know, you got to the end and you're trying to count up your bits and everyone's tired and they're coming off the sugar or they had a couple of beers and they're a bit fuzzy. It's, it's difficult to get the crescendo right with anything like alcohol or sugar. But snacks are, snacks are vital is the other thing as well. You, you don't want to have messy things. But at the same time, there's nothing worse than when people, everyone is having so much fun that they hit the crash, you know. And I've had that a few times with, uh, with big games like, um, like Imperial Assault or like... Uh, like Gloomhaven, where you've been playing for maybe three or four hours, and then you realise a bit too late that you're you're both just really hungry. And in fact, it's something that happens to me and Quinn's a lot when we're filming and working. We both just suddenly feel like, oh, I'm so tired, and oh, it's, oh I feel bad. And it's like, oh, we've been working for like seven hours and we haven't eaten. Yeah, like we need. To, um, I have so you, many memories yeah. of this. Actually, there have been times uh, we got better at it, but yeah, some early things shot with Quinn's where it just got to about two p.m. and it's like we shouldn't be that tired, but also we haven't ingested anything for ages yeah. and. 
but just you can't focus you can't remember it a line takes it or, out of you like you're using the combination of using your brain and using your body is just amazingly exhausting and, and energy using um I keep making the mistake of coming home very tired and then playing complex video games and then just being like unbelievably tired. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, I'm just rambling now, but I think whatever you do with your snacks, I think pizza's great to be honest because I think you can just pop it in, set an alarm, and then you can just bring it straight out on a breadboard and just give people slices. I know it can be greasy, but I think if you bring it out with kitchen roll instead of plates, then bang, you've solved your grease and um, you've solved your plate situation as well. I think pizza's a classic. Solve degrees. If you have a favorite snack to eat around the table or, you know, a very practical solution to the problem of, of not spilling anything, not leaving fingerprints or whatever, leave leave us a comment or even yeah. uh, if you have a favorite recipe, even email. Like, oh, I was going to say, try yeah. That. Yeah. Post some recipes or email them. Yeah. No, I, I would definitely, if I get some recipes that sound hot, I'm going to, I'm all about that. All about that, Paul. Okay. Well, there we go. Thank you, Matthew Lees. Um, I'm really hungry. So trade secret, it's because of the time difference. I'm currently in San Francisco. You're in London. I haven't had breakfast. <gasps> I had a breakfast almost 12 hours ago. That's yeah. insane, Paul. Yeah, How I just, you? I had a bunch of coffee and I had a couple of little uh, flaky biscuits. Oh, that is both the best and the worst breakfast, uh, yeah. depending on, on which which way you've uh, you've chosen the alignment stats on your character. <laughs> It's a chaotic mm, evil breakfast, isn't it? But it's great. Yeah, which is kind of what I am inside my soul, but nobody really knows that. (laughs) I do. (laughs) We all know. Everybody knows the truth. No, 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 we can't. Let's, let's. Thank you for for listening, everyone, um, and for coming away with the impression that I'm still a very nice, very good boy. Yes, thank you very much. We will be back with more podcasts soon and some exciting stuff on Shut Up and Sit Down in this year. The year of 2018. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.